welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. podcast where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These are scientists, doctors, and innovators telling us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Today, I was able to speak with my good friend, Dr. Lindsay Harper. She is the CEO and founder of Rosie, R-O-S-Y. Rosie is a sexual wellness app for women. So women that are experiencing low sexual desire can download her app and get scientifically proven methods to increase their sexual desire. We talked about porn, we talked about um, vulvas, uh, we said hashtag Viva the Vulva. It was such an amazing, fun conversation. Um, again, we have a OBGYN who became an entrepreneur and she talks us through her journey of fundraising for her startup and how it actually wasn't that hard for her. You know, it was a long process, but she, she did it successfully and she has over 20,000 users on Rosie. So, um, I'm super excited for you to hear my interview with Dr. Harper and her company. Lindsay, welcome to the show. So great to have you. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. I appreciate the invitation. Of course. Um, for our listeners, I have been tracking Rosie and Lindsay for a while now. Lindsay is the CEO and founder of Rosie, which is a female sexual wellness app. It's been awesome to see her successfully fundraise, scale, get more users. And um, I actually haven't gotten the most recent update, so we're all going to hear it together. Um, Lindsay, why don't you start by uh, telling us a little bit about your background? Sure, absolutely. So um, I'm in Dallas, Texas, right down the road. And my background is that I'm an OBGYN. And when I was in private practice, my patients, I felt like I was doing a pretty good job of handling their pregnancies and maybe menopausal symptoms, cancers, depression, these things that we do, you know, really commonly. But one question I was getting all the time is, you know, how to help women with sexual wellness, particularly low sexual desire. And I had no idea how to help them. I hadn't been trained in medical school or residency. And so I started asking around to my partners whom I loved and in bigger communities of physicians on Facebook, you know, what do you guys do? How do y'all treat low sexual desire? And really nobody had great answers. It was really, you know, not, not ideal things like people, doctors particularly are really frustrated about this issue because they hear about it a lot and we're not trained. And so we don't have great things to tell our patients. And so somebody in one of those groups told me about a medical society that this is all they study called ISWISH. So I joined that medical society and I became a fellow of that organization and learned that, you know, there are really evidence-based interventions that doctors and other healthcare professionals can be recommending to patients. Um, particularly women when they're having sexual problems. It's just that that information is not disseminated amongst the medical community, amongst women. And so therefore we're kind of all missing out. And it became my passion to bring those, you know, to patients and to women at scale and to really start to have a conversation about sexual health and why is this so neglected on the women's side of things. And, 
you know, really raise the red flag for this issue. Definitely, because sexual wellness is wellness. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, femtech, that's only medical device or only breast cancer treatment. And I'm like, listen, it also includes mental health, you know, postpartum depression, and it includes sexual wellness, comfortable sex, having, wanting to have sex, right? And so I'm, I'm super excited to talk about this with you. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree more. It's, it's such, it's something that's fundamental to, you know, the vast majority of who we are as people. And the fact that we don't talk about it either with our, with our healthcare teams or amongst one another in society is a real part of the problem because there's so much shame and isolation that can be associated because of the embarrassment factor. Mm -hmm. And that's completely unnecessary. So definitely agree with you. So you started a company called Rosie. Tell us what Rosie is and what you do. And when did you start it? Yeah, so the entity was officially formed in the fall of 2018, which is also the same time that I left private practice. So I spent six months sort of preparing to leave private practice, um, which I I still miss, but this is definitely my calling um, at this point in my life. And so um, we launched the product in February of 2019 on Valentine's Day. So it's a special birthday for us. And like you said, it's a mobile platform and we have lots of different evidence-based interventions for women, particularly who have low sexual desire. Um, so the ones that we sort of cherry picked that we know help with low sexual desire in women are education, um, self-help with a psychologist, and then a library of erotica, which is evidence-based and shown to prove uh, improve desire. So that's a fun part of the app for us and our, and our users. And then we recently launched community where our users can, you know, express how they're feeling and connect with one another for the first time for a lot of them ever. Um, and so that's been a really interesting, um, you know, place to watch unfold. So in the last year since we launched, we just had our first birthday. And um, we partnered with over 2,600 doctors and therapists and other healthcare providers who are now sharing Rosie with their patients. Mm. And we've, um, yeah, really met some exciting download and monthly active user goals. We've grown the team from just me to now a team of five women. um, And we raised a round of funding. So it's been quite the year. Congratulations. (laughs) Oh, my God. Female founder in the sexual wellness space, direct-to-consumer app. All of the things were against you to fundraise successfully. You know, like (laughs) the, the things that you had to come over, I am so impressed. I'm seriously so impressed. How many users do you have on your platform now? So we've had um, almost 20,000 downloads wow. in the last year. Yeah, well, that tells crazy. you how big of an issue it is, right? Well, for sure. <laughs> and it's, you know, that's the thing is we're barely scratching the surface. 38% of women describe that they have low sexual desire. That's 31 million women in the United wow. States. So, you know, we have a huge opportunity to really make a difference, um, not only for women, but for their relationships. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, consequently, even for their family. So mm-hmm. I think the opportunity is really, really large to make a difference in this space. Yeah, I love that. I say that all the time with Femtech. I say, you know, it is about improving women's health and wellness. But when you improve a woman's health and wellness, you improve her family, her partners, the economy's health and wellness, you know, everybody's. Absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, I think we are more influential than anyone else in the family structure. And, and how, you know, our health is affected definitely trickles outward and, you know, onward to the rest of our family members. So I, I'm, I'm on board with you there, Brittany. What are some of the reasons why women may have low sexual desire? And how would they know if they even if they if they have a normal level of desire or if they may actually need some help? 
Yeah. So that's the thing about low desire is it's completely subjective. So if you don't ever want to have sex and that doesn't bother you, then more power to you. Like there's nothing saying like, I'm definitely not trying to label anyone as Mm -hmm. broken or wrong. Mm -hmm. If they're happy, we Mm -hmm. definitely don't need to intervene in that case. But if a woman feels particularly that at one time she had, you know, what she considered, um, the sort of nice sexual desire for her own personality or Mm -hmm. for her own relationship. And now you know, that's fallen off and she doesn't know why she's lost touch with that side of herself and she feels sad about it. Then those are the people that we're really trying to reach. So there's no number, there's no quantitative measure of sexual Mm -hmm. desire, but it's more of a self subjective report where a woman is like, you know what? I used to be X and now I'm Z and I want to get closer to X again. What can you do to help me? And do you find that some women just accept that they have lower sexual desire and think that that might be normal and you know, or do you actually find yourself like encouraging women to dig deeper and ask themselves, like, could they have more desire? Because I know my impression is like, oh, as women get older, they don't want sex, right? And that's just normal. Deal with it, right? But is your impression that that's not normal and you should do something about it? You know, I think the real um, the real question is, is it causing a problem for you in your life? Mm. So if a person feels sad about their current state or if their relationship is suffering because of what's going on, those are the people that we're trying to reach. If you're good, it's almost like a personality. It's like mm. I would never want to change like a, you know, a critical sort of pessimist into an optimist. Yeah. If you have a, if you have a baseline sort of, you know, maybe lower than average sex drive, but you're totally fine with that. And that's how you want to interact with the world. You do you right. Yeah. But we're there to help the women who, who desire help and who are looking for, you know, resources to get back to normal. We definitely don't want to tell someone there's something wrong with them if they're perfectly happy with yeah. how things are. So you tapped on what your platform provides for women, like this community dashboard and erotica and tips and tricks. What are, can you share with us some of the science behind increasing women's sexual desire that your app may, you know, highlight? Absolutely. So in the educational videos, women learn lots of things. For me, that's, that's a really fun part to start with because it helps women understand their anatomy. So, for example, a lot of us, even in the medical community, call the external female genitalia the vagina. That's called the vulva. The vulva. We we do. The vulva. <laughs> yes, viva la vulva. Yeah. And we need to call our parts by their correct names, especially amongst women, amongst our healthcare teams, with our children. We mm-hmm. are totally missing the point when it comes to what our genitals are even called, and that that confers shame mm-hmm. amongst medical professionals, amongst our children. If our children have a you know, an incident that they want to discuss and they, and they're calling it their hoo-ha, you know, Uh it's just not appropriate. So we have education on correct anatomical names. We have education on pleasure and how, you know, most women require clitoral stimulation to have an orgasm. And there's nothing wrong with that. You shouldn't be trying for your whole life to have this penis and vagina orgasm. That's not, that's not necessary. That's not actually, in fact, how most women work. Mm -hmm. Um, We talk a lot about the clitoris and where it's located and how big it is and how, in fact, it goes down into the labia and for someone back into the vagina, which is really exciting. We do a lot of education around arousal and desire. So many women think that they should just experience spontaneous desire. So they're just sitting at work or on a podcast and they just all of a sudden (laughs) feel like they want to have sex. But that's not how for most women it works. In fact, they have to seek out things that cause them to become aroused, Mm -hmm. like erotica, for example, and then subsequently they feel desire. 
And that's a perfectly acceptable behavioral tool to use if you feel like you want to improve desire for your relationship or for yourself, but you're just not sure how. So that's really where we offer the erotica side, which like we talked about has been shown to improve desire really reliably. So a lot of our users come and they check back with the newly released content every week and read a story or two and maybe schedule sex around that. So we're, mm-hmm. we're super pumped to provide that as a tool for our, for our users. Amazing. Where do you get the erotica from? Because as a feminist myself, this is not a feminist podcast. It's about women's health and wellness. But <laughs> as a feminist who believes in sexual wellness, you know, I find myself um, not sure about watching porn personally based on my own morals and values of women and what these girls are experiencing in that industry. And so how does Rosie work around, you know, empowering women while not promoting videos that potentially are disempowering them? Yeah. So it's all written is one thing. So there's no like video porn in the app. A lot of women, um, like to use their imagination so that they can, you know, um, interject whatever types of couples that they want to fantasize about within the story. Um, our, our stories are all sex positive. They're all, Amazing. you know, woman positive. I, I can say, I almost want to say with a hundred percent certainty that they're all written by women. I think I could probably vouch for mm-hmm. that. Um, and they've all, you know, kind of been vetted for those criteria. So it's definitely a curated set of erotica Got it. and it's been tailored specifically to our users who are, have sometimes never read erotica, who are sometimes uncomfortable with it. So we have different spice levels where users can come in and say, you know what? Okay, Dr. Harper, like I trust you, but this feels weird to me. And so for them, they might start out with one flame instead of three, and it might be just married couples or just monogamous couples. And so we can start like very tightly curating the um, experience for our users so that they don't read anything that offends them. But yet they're also able to kind of experience that idea and that fantasy for the first time. Cool. Yeah, that totally puts it in a different mindset for me because I was even thinking like most porn doesn't highlight women's pleasure. So <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I was like, how are you doing that? You know, no, even feminist like feminist movies still aren't doing it right. It mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like there's mm-hmm. definitely a lot of room for improvement. I don't know who's directing these things or what, but I, I, I feel there's definitely a lot of room for improvement. But yeah, these are all written stories and we try really hard, you know, to, to communicate those messages that are important to you yeah, too. Definitely. Well, I mean, um, if we go down the porn rabbit hole just a little further, I think that, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, women are now getting their sex ed from that. And so therefore they think that, oh, when I am only penetrated and no clitoral stimulation, I should be able to come 10 times in 30 minutes, right? And so there's these expectations about what good sex is and how women perform and like what makes them happy or, you know, orgasm. And so um, I'm so grateful there's a platform like Rosie where women can go and get erotica and not feel like they have to, you know, be in these crazy orgies, you know, to feel fulfilled in life, you know? Totally. Yes. Well, and that's the thing. That's where everyone's getting their sex ed, not just women, but men too. Mm. And so then we carry around all these false expectations and we're not communicating about things. I mean, the, you know, that's really where the embarrassment and the shame factor comes in. It's like, if we could, provide some legitimate education, which Rosie does, and then we can foster conversations between partnerships, then we've solved like 70% of all problems. I mean, there's that work is easy. That was actually my next question. How do you bring the do you bring the partner in on the app? 
So you, you can do it however you want to. We definitely have opportunities. And we've heard actually from a lot of our users that they like to read erotica with their partners, which mm. I love, which I think is great in this time of coronavirus. Like, I think that's a fun thing to do. Um, but also that they will sometimes on the educational videos find things that pertain to them that really speak to them. And they'll say, hey, and watch it with their partner. A lot of times, especially in low desire relationships or where there's a desire discrepancy, the messaging between the two partners is between the low desire partner to the high desire partner is maybe you're not attractive. They wouldn't mm-hmm. say that, but that's mm-hmm. how the low, the higher desire partner is interpreting it. Like, yeah. oh, clearly she's got somebody else going on. And yeah. from the woman's perspective with, or the lower desire partner, it's like, that's not it at all. I don't feel like doing this with anybody. It's yeah. not a you thing. It's a me thing. And so for them to have someone else vocalizing that perspective really legitimizes the experience and can explain it to the partner in a way that makes it feel less um, about them and more about what's going on with the woman who's experiencing these symptoms. So I love it. There's opportunities for sure. Yeah. Pulling that shame out, building communication. Do you have content for same-sex female couples? Yeah. So really, we are very careful. I try really hard to always use the word partnership. So really any of our material could apply to both heterosexual and same sex couples. And then also in the erotica, we do have in the library, um, we have LGBTQ uh, stories, but you know, you don't have to be in a same sex relationship to read those either. Like all, all types of people want to read those. So yeah, the content that we have is for, is we try to be very inclusive. It's definitely something if we're trying to erase, uh, erase, shame and isolation, mm-hmm. we wouldn't be doing a great job of that if we were leaving out populations yeah. that, you know, represented a major, a, a, a significant piece of us. So. so let's say we have a listener right now who is um, like, oh my gosh, I need this in my life. How do they join Rosie? How do they get it? Yeah, you just go to the, go to the Apple um, iTunes store or Google Play and you download Rosie. It's a free app. So all the educational content is free. You, there's a few erotica stories that are free and a few of the self-help sessions, which we recorded with Dr. Lori Mintz, who's a psychologist from the University of Florida. And she counsels about communication, about self, you know, exploration, all kinds of awesome things. Um, and most of those are paid as well, but there is one free one. So the user can be free forever or you can upgrade to the full library of content for $10 a month. And it's R-O-S-Y. You got it. And that's all you have to search in either of the app stores, R-O-S-Y. Perfect. Um, Yeah. As an expert and a thought leader in this field, what are some other discrepancies you see between male sexual wellness and female sexual wellness, whether that's how the media portrays it or how healthcare deals with it? What are other discrepancies for our listeners for female versus male sexual wellness? Well, I could go on about this one for an entire podcast. <laughs> okay, another episode. <laughs> we'll book you again. Book you next month. <laughs> but I'm glad. I'm glad that you asked. Um, so, from my perspective as a doctor, right, we think about who treats men's sexual dysfunction. That is a urologist all day long. Mm. I know who to send my patient to, or my patient's partner, whenever she they want a vasectomy. I know where to go when he's got low testosterone or erectile dysfunction or whatever might be going on with him. But who's the corollary for that for women's health, right? Mm-hmm. We, I think that the lay people think, and rightfully so, that it is OBGYNs mm-hmm. that a woman would go see if she were having sexual problems. But guess what? Most of us have had zero training. And that's not just my residency program. That is across the board. There's no testing on those topics. And so therefore, the residency programs are not 
you know, wow. teaching them. Yeah. And also in the residency programs, there's very few people who practice this type of medicine. So there's just not people to train them. So, you know, that's part of my work is training medical professionals because that's just unbelievable to me. So that's it from a medical perspective. There's just nobody who does this except for, you know, just a handful of people in the country. Um, in the media, you know, like when we're talking about erectile dysfunction, look at all the ads. I mean, where we can't watch a Super Bowl, we can't watch anything without an ad for erectile dysfunction. No one's, you know, losing their minds over that. But when, you know, people in this female sexual wellness space try to advertise, like, and even in print or on digital, like in Facebook or Instagram, their ads are getting rejected left and right. And it's because of this underlying sort of feeling that we have that women's sexuality is bad and dirty, Mm -hmm. but men can, you know, wave it all around and be proud of it and have, you know, all the attention that it needs. And that spills over into funding from pharma, funding from a research perspective, um, the ability for us to have conversations like this on both sides of the equation. So I'm hoping that some of those things are going to change, but it definitely is going to take a lot of work um, by all of us and by women everywhere to stand up and be like, you know what, this is baloney. Like what in the world, why do men have all these resources and we're just like kicking it and expected to get over it. And I just really think that that's unacceptable. And I think the more we talk about this, the more other women will agree that that's unacceptable. And hopefully we can, you know, by the time our children are grown, like we are, that maybe we can you know, affected some change in that area. Has Rosie experienced any difficulties in advertising? We have, um, we couldn't, our first press release got rejected Mm. and I like as a doctor, I mean, I lost my top. Like I was like, are you kidding me? This is a medical diagnosis. I'm a doctor. Like, what are you guys talking about? And they were like, no, we can't um, promote or talk about products that for female sexual enhancement. I was like, y'all have lost your mind. So anyway, we've gotten a press release approved since then, but that was, that was my first experience. And then, you know, we have just this year started a little bit of advertising on social. So through Facebook and we did have to do some workarounds. We can't include the word sexual. Um, we had to get our ad reviewed and change it a few times. We've had some pretty good luck since then. Thank God. But, um, but we did have some, some trouble at first and I've seen tons of, um, you know, other companies experience the same situation. Yep, yep, definitely. What about fundraising? Do you have any experience, um, a positive story and maybe a negative story of pitching about sexual wellness and the feedback you got from investors? Yeah, I mean, honestly, fundraising for me was a really good experience. And I never, no one was ever ugly to me. No one ever brushed me off because of the topic or said that this wasn't a thing. I think that men as much as women, and you know, it's mostly men that you're pitching, Mm -hmm. they appreciate this. They get it because they maybe are on the other side of this situation, or they definitely have been in, you know, talks with their friends about being on the other side of the situation. So I think from that perspective, you know, that, that people really got it. And even if they didn't invest, which of course most, most answers are no, Mm -hmm. but they were still kind about it. And and my hope was that it maybe it's still started a conversation for them in some aspect of their lives. Maybe the level of education that they left the pitch with was different than the level that they came in with. And therefore maybe it was still of benefit, you know, in some way. So for me, honestly, like I hate to, I want to, you know, tell the story of women raising money, but it's, it hasn't been a bad experience for me. It was a long experience. It took forever. It was hard, but it was a good experience. I took a lot Mm -hmm. away from it. I, I loved it, honestly. I wonder if, um, because you're talking about sexual wellness, the 
male investors could relate because they have sexual wellness too, and that they may be living with or married to or have a sister or whatever that has low sexual libido. Excuse me, let me rephrase that. No sister, just in their own home. They may, sorry, I was going down one thought and I and I went in a different one. So they may relate to your product because they may have a partner who has sex low sexual abuse, and that affects them negatively, right? And so therefore, there may they may be more open to what you're working on compared to a woman who is or a femtech founder working on a product that really does not relate to the man whatsoever, like a menopause treatment or something, you know. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that, that 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 level of personalization where they're able to tell the story or understand the story from their perspective, I think does help uh, our company a lot. Um, You know, so and I think another thing that always came up was that they did have this false impression that there were resources for women. Wow. Yeah. But they had just never thought about it. You know, they're (laughs) like, oh, wait a minute. You don't treat that as an OBGYN or there's not any. Yeah. You know, there there have just been in the last couple of years some FDA approved medications for low desire. Like, can't everyone take testosterone? Like, all of these just <laughs> misconceptions. And so, to be able to clear that up, because I think that that from you know from a person who's not knowledgeable about this space, they think that oh well, yeah, there's all these resources for men, so surely they exist for women mm-hmm. too. So just highlighting that discrepancy that was something that really I think surprised a lot of um, male investors, but also really. Um, encourage them to participate in this process because they they could see that inequity um and thought that that wasn't right so i appreciated that yeah you're educating investors while (laughs) you had downloads during your pitches right you're getting downloads (laughs) um um what's the market size for sexual female sexual wellness you know, I've heard a couple of numbers kicked around 39 billion, 50 billion. It's different depending upon what you read, but it's huge. Mm-hmm. And I mean, women are more than half of the population and more than half of women experience some sexual problem. So not even if you're talking about wellness, but if you're talking about dysfunction or problems, then we've still got a huge market. Um, so, I mean, the opportunities are huge and it is a wildly untapped, I mean, you would not believe people are like, Oh, so who are your competitors? I'm like, Hmm, like good question. There are definitely (laughs) some peripheral competitors, but nobody is doing exactly what we do. And you know, the more conversation we can get started in this space, the more money we can get rolling towards this space, the better for all of us. So Mm -hmm. I would invite, of course, anyone who has a passion for this or who, you know, feels like this is, um, something that they're, they're excited about to look into it because yeah. the opportunities are right now are endless. I feel like it's the wild, wild west. Well, that's <laughs> one of my goals with this podcast is to get potential innovators to think about making something in femtech because women need it. And there's not a lot of competition and there's huge market size and potential. So this, this is good. Um, what was your experience like? So you are a doctor, you know, MD, OBGYN, and now you're a CEO founder. What has that transition looked like? And what, you know, how does it feel? Like, yeah. is it, does it feel like the right career path? Did you ever think you'd do this? You know? Yeah. I mean, I thought I would be a doctor forever. Like, I love being a doctor. And I'm still a doctor, by the way. Like, people are Yo, like, do yeah. to be a doctor? And I'm like, I'm still a doctor. Excuse me. Yes. Um, like, <laughs> I did I my time. Um, so yeah, no, that's, it's like, it's like, to me, it's part, it's as much a part of my identity as being a woman and as, as being a mom, like I, that is who I am. I was always meant to be a doctor. Um, I'm, I now feel like I'm using that skill set in a different way that excites me 
even more. You know, I loved being in private practice. I truly love my patients and my partners and I miss them and talk to a lot of them really regularly. Um, but I just felt like once I realized this and once I realized that no one else was doing it and I had the opportunity to do so that probably I should do it. Like Mm -hmm. I felt like I kind of had to do it because I wasn't sure that anyone else was going to. And so it was more of an obligation, but one that I took on happily once I made the decision for me, the hardest part was to make the decision to do it, like to take the leap. And to say, okay, like, I'm going to believe in whatever this is enough to say, like, let's do it. Let's put it on the line. Let's send a letter to all my patients saying I'm leaving. And like, that was hard. Um, But I'm so thankful that I did. There's so much that I've learned. I mean, I can't even tell you in the last 18 months, like my, my personal growth and my professional growth has been exponential. And I'm so, so thankful for the opportunity. It has definitely been scary. And just now I'm filling out like bank paperwork. I don't know. That stuff is so boring to me, but it's fine. And I can figure it out. Like I'm a smart yep, person. Yeah, that's but... right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. You, you have to do stuff that you'd never have done before, but it's all just like Marie Forleo says, everything is figure outable. And that's sort of my mantra. I it's like, it. I, there's nothing too hard. We can do this. We can figure it out. And there are so many people that want to help and that offer to help me literally on a daily basis. And I take full advantage of that. I Mm -hmm. ask for help all the time. And it's because I don't know what I'm doing and I need you to help me figure out the next step. And that has been such a successful recipe for me. And I'm so thankful to all those people in my life. Oh, man. For our (laughs) listeners, um, Dr. Harper did not listen to Julie's podcast episode one prior to this. And the reason I bring that up is because... So much of what you're saying, Lindsay, is the same as what Julie said, which it was, you know, I saw a need and I didn't think anyone else was going to do it. And women's health is so important. I thought I'm going to need to figure out how to do it because women's lives are on the line here. You know, I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but I this is important. I got to try. So that's so awesome. It's like a similar message. I think a lot of uh, innovators in femtech are like that. It's we're we, we're not you know doctors in femtech, right? We're not we're not getting a master's degree in femtech. We right. are, you know, I'm a geneticist. I've uh, you know worked. I owned a dating app, right? Like who who am I? And it's just yeah. like this passion <laughs> of you know women's health and wellness. And this is an issue. We need to come together and do something about it. Um, few more questions for you. So, you know, you are obviously a thought leader and spearheading female sexual wellness. I would love to get your input on what are other areas in women's health and wellness that you think need some more innovating for those out there looking for ideas to work on? What are some other discrepancies that, that need some innovation? Oh my gosh. I mean, this is just, you know, there are a lot of questions to be, um, to be had here. I think, I really think, I mean, we can, we can disrupt the whole sort of medical care of women, you know, Mm. like I think particularly pregnancy, there's so much that hasn't changed in millennia for pregnancy. We have one drug that we use for preeclampsia that we've used forever. And it's, it's not a great drug and it's not very effective and has terrible side effects. Endometriosis is very poorly understood. We have terrible diagnostics tools um, and not great treatment options. I mean, the list goes on. Infertility, like predicting fertility in the future. You know, a lot of women want to know, like, what are what are my you know what's my fertility status going to look like when I'm 35 if I want to delay pregnancy? We don't have those answers. There's some companies sort of saying that they do, but we don't. We don't have that. I think that there's tons of opportunity. I think even just education or sort of um, support around 
menstruation, right? Like, mm. I don't know, there's so much going on right now with birth control and different types of contraception. I love the idea of all these non-hormonal contraceptives coming out where we don't have to do all this disruption. Um, so, I mean, honestly, like, I think that if you could think of an area for women's health, like just any area, then you could probably do something <laughs> in that space to make it better. Yeah. And that's probably true for healthcare generally. Yeah. Um, that's one of the things I love about Rosie is I feel like it's sort of a we're working towards a more modern version of how a, how a woman might expect to interact with the healthcare system. Um, but I think that there's a lot of opportunities there because it's just such a disjointed space. Medicine is stuck because of a lot of rules and regulations mm -hmm. and consumers have moved forward with expectations mm -hmm. and we have to find some way to bridge those gaps. I think there's a ton of opportunity there. Whew. So if you're listening, if you're excited about femtech, the world is your oyster. <laughs> Pick okay. anything that has to do with women. You probably can find something that's broken and needs innovating. Um, and all you have to do is ask yourself, like, what is your mm. personal experience or ask your friend? I mean, yep. we've all yep. had, we've all had experiences that we know could have been better, that something about it could have been more supportive or, you know, felt more authentic to us. So, I mean, it doesn't take a lot of research, like just ask yourself these questions or be looking for these opportunities as you go forward in life. That's my husband who is a born entrepreneur. I, I think I'm just a born doctor who <laughs> helped do this, but he has like started a bunch of companies and his, the way he trained my brain was like, Hey, Lindsay, be looking for opportunities that, that maybe you are, you know, specifically designed to solve. Mm -hmm. And that's just how you go throughout your day. Like, what is this problem that I can specifically address in my own unique way? And that to me was how this all came about. And I'm so appreciative for that advice. Awesome. Well, Lindsay, we like to ask all of our guests um, a question. What does femtech need the most right now? As an industry, what do we need the most right now? What's the most urgent need we have? That is such a good question. Um, you know, I think that we need exactly probably what you're providing here, Brittany, which is the opportunity for us to all come together and to really communicate about the work that we're doing. I attended a conference in Boston all around, um, you know, female health and wellness and sort of tech innovations in the space. And the best thing about the conference and the thing that I love most about this field is how collaborative we all are. Yes, There's yes. no time mm -hmm. for competition. There's mm -hmm. no time for being cutthroat or backstabbing because we all feel so passionately about what we're doing. We didn't get into it for any other reason other than to make the world a better place yes. and, yeah. and to collaborate. And I think we all are, you know, really mission focused. And that um, really is going to make us all successful. But we need to be able to communicate and to connect with one another, just like you're providing this platform and conferences and forums and things like that, where we can say, you know what, this is what we saw with our users. Like maybe you could use that in your business to help you grow or whatever, just to share that information. So I think the platforms to be able to do that and where we don't feel so siloed. I think um, those connections are really important. Yeah, what I what I heard you say was that we are naturally a mission driven community and are in this for the bigger purpose. And so therefore, we're very collaborative, but we lack a, a platform to communicate with one another and com communicate to people outside of our industry. 
Yeah. Absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head. I did not plant that answer, listeners, okay? (laughs) She did that authentically. (laughs) Uh, But that has actually been my experience, too, Um, being in femtech over the last year, being just totally obsessed with it, talking to people around the world about femtech. My experience has been literally everyone I've talked to is like, how can we work together? I've yet to run into Absolutely. someone who is like, well, that's mine. No. Or like, I can't tell you that. No one has asked me to sign an NDA yet. You know, and I work in a world of, you know, se- secret sauce. And uh, in femtech, everyone's just like, yeah, let's share the Google d- Drive. Let's get do it together, you know. So that's totally. it's awesome. And I, and, I total, and I've had the exact same experience. And for me, it's like that in my mind. I think of it as like, you know, that rising tide raises all boats. Mm -hmm. And for us, like the more we can, the more attention, the more funding, the more information sharing, the better we all do and the closer we get towards our mission. So I, I definitely love that about this space. And I don't know how well I would function in a, in a space with a different mindset. Like I think that that makes this sort of intrinsically made for my personality because I love collaboration and I, I do like a little competition. I'm yeah. not going to lie, but I don't like it in like a mean or like, yeah. you know, like yeah. mean spirited way. Yeah. Rising tides rise is all vulvas, right? There you go. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Maybe that's why you should call this episode. <laughs> Rising tides rise all vulvas. Viva la vulva. People are going to be like, no thanks. <laughs> no, I think our listeners are going to be like, hell yeah. Hell yeah, I'm going to hashtag that. Let's make it a hashtag, listeners. Viva la vulva. Awesome. Well, Lindsay, you have been an amazing guest. You've been a dear friend of mine. I love what you're working on. Um, Everyone listening to this podcast should definitely download Rosie, whether you just want to spice up your sex life or you want to get back to where your sex, you know, libido was at one point. Download it from the App Store on Google or iOS. Rosie, R-O-S-Y. You've now just heard the founder. She's super awesome. She lives in Dallas. Um, and we're, we're all doing this for the better good of women. So um, share share the app with a friend. Uh, rate, subscribe, and review this podcast. And uh, till next week, keep innovating. And remember that improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness. See you later, y'all. <laughs>